You're listening to Everyday Saints, a podcast from the Melbourne Anglican. I'm your host, Kiralee Nicole. My aim is to feature the stories from those of all different backgrounds in Melbourne and beyond. These stories, they might make us laugh, they might make us cry. My hope is that hearing a diverse range of stories will bring us closer together and better equip us to care for one another. So, without further ado, we hope you enjoy. My guest today is someone who does a very niche kind of work, which blends together creativity and spirituality in what really is a service to churches across Victoria. Shanti Michael is a musical director for a group which performs Gregorian chanting and sacred polyphony in Victorian churches, called Chorus Ecclesiae. She's worked and studied in the US, worked for the Catholic Church in Malaysia, and now she resides in Australia. She spoke with me about growing up Malaysian, her faith and its family emphasis, and the beauty of acceptance across religious bounds. Her story is one of creative journeys, loss, and experiencing faith alongside those you love. Just a trigger warning for this episode, we don't go into depth here, but there is a mention of pregnancy loss. Uh, So if that's an area that you have struggled with or something that you're currently going through, just be aware that we do touch on it very briefly. Looking forward to having you hear Shanti's story. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shanti. Uh, Welcome to Everyday Saints. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Tell me a little bit just about you, um, what you do, um, what your interests are, and just how you spend your time generally. Well, um, so a little bit about me. I am uh, Malaysian-born. I came to Australia in the year sort of 2003. I did my undergrad graduate here and I worked here for a little bit. Um, I did, uh, I studied at ACU um, um, prior, uh, after studying at VCA and Box Hill TAFE and I went to ACU to do my um, music studies. And then I, I got a church job at St. Francis Catholic Church. Um, uh, reinvigorating um, their youth choir. It started out as a volunteer position and I ended up getting paid because the choir grew um, and I was part of, um, that was the youth choir. I was also part of their um, main core choir. And in doing all that work, I was uh, strongly encouraged by Paul Taylor, who was the liturgical director of the Catholic Archdiocese at the time to go um pursue further studies. Um, And so I did, I ended up going to the US to study a master's of sacred music at the University of Notre Dame. And um, after I completed that, I went back to Malaysia because my intent was always to go back to Malaysia and work as much as I can to give back to the community. I worked with the um, Catholic Archdiocese there um, providing liturgical workshops, trainings, um, cantor training, choral training. I had my own little choir there, and I was also working in individual churches with their music groups there. And when I was done with that, <laughs> in, in the U.S., 
when I was studying, I met my now husband and uh, we long distance while we, in, we were in Malaysia. And after trying on several hats in Malaysia, uh, after I worked for the Archdiocese for about a year, I did do, I did branch out into some other artistic um, administration. I worked um, for um, local traditional groups that did, uh, that did, you know, Wayang Kulit, which is shadow puppetry and all sorts of traditional art forms around Malaysia. Um, and then by the time that wrapped up, uh, it was, we were ready to get married. <laughs> so Glenn, uh, Glenn, my husband, got an offer in Portland, Oregon, and I moved there. And I was there for about five years, uh, and I worked in various churches with uh, the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church. And I sang in a choir called Cantoris and Ecclesia, which was, you know, a big joy and inspiration for my current work here. I was also involved um, um, with Capella Romana, which is a marvelous um, Greek Orthodox choir. I was on their board of directors. And after doing, after being in Portland and doing those various things for about five years, we thought we'd move to Australia. <laughs> and then the pandemic came and we said, well, might as well do it now. <laughs> so we moved back mid-pandemic. Um, now we're here. I'm currently doing another Masters of Music in Performance Teaching. Um, I've just launched my choir, Chorus Ecclesia, and I'm also working as a private vocal instructor and choral conductor, teacher, etc. Um, and in a nutshell, that's what I do professionally. <laughs> uh, in my personal life, it's very family and friends um, oriented. Um, because of the way, big from Malaysia, my family is really spread out all over the world. And my husband's American as well. So a lot of our time is spent either visiting family or being with family. Um, and yeah, other yeah, than music. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And gardening and cats as well. <laughs> yes, how did you know that? <laughs> did I mention the gardening already? It's it has been a great joy over the recent year over my recent years. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, Tommy, so you, you grew up in Malaysia. Um yeah. and you're very, very passionate about music and that's what you do now. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing in Malaysia and your faith and how your faith and music kind of melded? Mm, that's an interesting question. So I come from a pretty Catholic background in Malaysia. Uh, my grandmother's brother was actually the first Malaysian archbishop. Um, and it's a very large family. She's got um, eight siblings and my dad's side has had 13 siblings and it was all very Catholic oriented. The Catholic Church in Malaysia, as some people will know, or I, I, and this might be true for the other churches as well, is it's a little bit of a different experience here than it is in, in Australia. When you go to church, the churches are still full and still full of young people, um, younger than me and my age. So um, I mean, that's the, the, the starkest difference, I think, when we moved overseas that we realized it um, in some of the Western countries, it wasn't quite as full um, as, as it was. Um, 
Why and do you think that is? What is it that draws in young people into the Catholic Church then? Uh, well, because it's such a family event, a family thing, you know, um, like our, our, our whole sort of, of social life was almost uh, centered around it. Malaysia had this program called the BEC, which is the Basic Ecclesiastical Oh, I can't remember what the C stands for now. <laughs> but basically what it was that was that in your neighborhood, you would meet up, I think, once a week with um, your group, your a group of your neighborhood friend, the church group, and you would um, have prayers, do readings, prayers, reflections. But this ended up being quite a big social event as well. So my grandmother, you know, used to host these. We used to go to them as kids where... You know, the parents and the kids would be there and it's Malaysia. So it was also centered around food and prayer. <laughs> so it was always just a regular thing that we did. We would and we also had Sunday school, which was on a Sunday. So we'd have our normal five days of school. We'd have Sunday school, which was in the morning and then we'd go to mass. And then by the time you got confirmed, was, which was when you were 16 and not younger, and confirmation was, preparation was two years, not, not just one year. Um, you know, you'd be going to youth camps, you'd be doing family activities. It's very fam centered around family. So that really the whole family is involved. It's not just a thing where, oh, you take your kid to communion, get them baptized, communion, confirmation, and then, yeah, it's holistic thing mm. i mean certainly i'm not so certainly not criticizing how other people do it that's just the way we did it there mm. um yeah um and it's the same with hispanic families and you know mm. different cultures that's the one similarity i noticed when i was in the u.s that hispanics um, um they tend to view church in the same way um church was a very compulsory thing <laughs> well mm. in some other cultures it's you know, well, oh, if you have sports on that way, day, you don't have to go to church. But in mm. in cultures like ours, it's like you don't get to do sports if you don't do church. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it was ingrained that way. I guess your main question was how how um, music was became a thing. So I do a lot of classical music now, but in the, the church in Malaysia, the music is quite contemporary and evangelical. So I grew up doing all of that music, um, you know, and singing in church and, you know, running all these praise and worship sessions, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I started studying music, I moved into the classical section and then I started learning more theology and liturgy because that was part of my course in both my first degrees. Um, and I just fell in love with that type of liturgical prayer and I learned, I guess, more deeply about my faith and how to how to pray it um and it's just been a lifelong involvement <laughs> i guess so i've sort of done everything in the musical sphere when it comes to church music but my main focus now is very um based on you know chant and choral uh, mm -hmm. music uh, and hymnody mm -hmm. yeah fantastic um, so with that music, the chant and the choral music and the hymnody, um, how does that kind of feel like it for you? Does it feel like it expresses your faith in a in a unique way for you? Just curious, is that something yeah. kind of, yeah. 
drives that for you? It's that's a hard question to ask because you've got you've got diehards on both sides. You've got some people who who say that you know chant and polyphony are really the only way to do things in the Catholic Church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then on the other side, you have a group of people and saying that's not relevant. It's um, sort of uh, there's no need for that. Dying out, I guess. Like, it's, yeah. I'm a yeah. very middle of the road person now. I will say I probably lean on the more conservative side, but that's not because of a musical preference, but that's more of because I think it's a liturgical preference for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in doing part of the reason I love doing this music is that I feel um, I feel it's very relevant. It, it, it's part of the liturgy. The liturgy was it was written for the liturgy. Well, some of the other music, while it's very good, very beautiful, very appropriate for worship. But I would argue, at least in the Catholic context, not all of it is necessarily appropriate for the liturgy. But I think a lot of people mistake that for saying that it's not appropriate for just general worship, which mm-hmm. you know can be two different things. Um, so I think, for me, I think it's very rooted in sort of a liturgical and theological understanding. And by the way, I that that does not mean that I think it's the only way to go, but that that is why why it speaks to me in particular. Um, I know a lot of people who do things in a more contemporary manner still do it in uh, an appropriately liturgical way, and they do it very well. Um, you know, and all these musicians, be they volunteer or paid, are all very hardworking, regardless of where where in the spectrum they fall. Yeah. 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 That's, that's fair. So looking looking back at your journey of faith and your journey of music, what is it that you're sort of hopeful for for the next, I guess, stage of your of your faith life? Next stage of my faith life. That's interesting. Um you know, so music is always played a big part of uh, my faith journey but one of the things that I've realized as as I grow older and more and more contemplative is that when I was younger I think I would let the music be the only thing that was in my faith life and so this is actually something I'm trying to step away from because it's certainly something when done well can you know it can lift the veil between us and the divine and is integral to worship. However, um, growing up when I found myself sort of oscillating between genres, styles, and all of that, I found myself being almost to a stage where if I went to a church that didn't have the type of worship I liked, I wouldn't be able to pray or maintain my faith. And I realized that's not a necessarily very healthy thing for my own personal faith life. Um, And one of the things that impacted me the most, I think, was last year my grandmother died. Um, And my grandmother was, you know, sort of a very solid Catholic, as in said the rosary every day, you know, very, very devout. However, that's not really what stood um, stood out in her faith life. What stood out in her faith life is that she tried to be there for people as much as possible. She would 
you know, she was one of the smartest women I knew um, and raised eight children and was a full-time housewife. And all eight children are very, very successful in what they do um, in their life now. And her main thing was, you know, cooking, gardening, being there for people as much as possible. Um, she was also someone who, considering how conservative she was, um, would would not be afraid to change as she got older. Um, there were several things that happened in my family where we had um, an aunt who converted to 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 Muslim and that was such a big thing. And then she had to learn to adapt and change with that. It's actually quite a funny story because the that aunt and her child, who's also Muslim, ended up taking care of her at the end of her life the most of all. Um, and we're all very close together. But when, when uh, my cousin was a child and would come and stay over my grandmother's house, my grandmother, the very devout Catholic, would make sure she said her Muslim prayers five times a day stay away from pork, you know, and to say, you know, if you're going to uh, be another religion, best be observant, don't kind of, you know, do it halfway. Um, and yeah, she was from a different generation. And then, so the, that's actually sort of what has helped me grow in my faith life, re realizing that it's not all the things that I do um, in the outside world, I mean, I obviously want to try and do my very best, but it's the little things um, that help you grow in your faith, I think. So it's been quite a year of contemplation for me, reflecting on her life and how I want to live mine. Mm, it's a very contemplative thing, and I, it's something that's been a, a really a, a thought for me as well over the years as we've seen um, sort of political divides within the church really kind of um, separate people. We've seen um, so much separation, physical separation through COVID um, and those those practices that you can do as a community or even simple things like being able to make someone a meal and, and give it to them when they're suffering. Sometimes those have not been possible yeah. and it's that idea of, um it's not what you do it's who you are <laughs> um right. kind of comes it it really simplifies a lot and so it's a really interesting yeah. idea to um bring your faith down from the things that you do like the the, the singing and all of those things that are amazing yeah. and add to other people's faith journeys as well but yeah. really think about who you are internally as well yeah and i guess that does contribute to the things you do as well because mm. the, the things that i do outside you know, for work and stuff, that's fine. But the things that make me who I am is also mm. things like making sure that I pick up the phone and check in on the people I love rather than wait for for them to do it for me. Mm. Make sure that um, I'm I'm investing in the relationships that, that mm. mean a lot to me. And that does take work. So it is a doing thing. But mm. I found that, you know, because when, you, when you're a musician, there's a lot of hustling going on that you have to do mm -hmm. to make a living. And then I realized that in the process of all this hustling, sometimes it's easy to sort of uh, put all these people that actually make your life. Um, and so about five, when I moved to Portland, it was that, that was actually when it hit me was that, you know, oh, this, is, this is an effort that I have to do as well and not just wait for other people to do it for me. Because, I mean, 
it you know in in my generation now i'm turning 40 this year and you know catching up with people is it's it's kind of hard because people don't really talk on the phone as much when when we're busy if we don't see each other then we don't talk so mm-hmm. if i have friends now who i haven't seen for a long time because they're busy with babies or work and stuff you know calling and talking on the phone which is like an alien concept to a lot of us because <laughs> we don't really do that anymore mm, um, yes doing that um trying to yeah yeah and mm-hmm. then in, and also i think there has to be a balance because coming from an asian family as well um there's there's also very heavy expectation to almost to the extreme mm-hmm. and so having to set those boundaries and being able to take care of yourself and the people that you love around you because you know if you don't take care of yourself you can't really take care of anybody else yeah yeah, yeah. that's a really interesting um kind of picture that you've described there because you're sort of describing so many different factors the things that you value and also the things that you contend with and I think as any any creative person I mean I know I I can relate I'm not a musician but I'm a writer um and any creative person can relate to the the struggle of trying so hard to be someone and to and to you know push yourself into the area that you really want to work in that you kind of the people and the things that make your life worthwhile on a on a basis where it's not you know you step away from your computer or you step away from whatever it is that you're working on those are the things that really matter they can just fall by the wayside and so that sounds like a very transformational process that you've you've gone through well I don't know if it's transformational I'll be honest I think it's a it's a process that a lot of like um immigrants actually go through because you're having to come you're you're coming from another country another place where expectations and family life is very different and then you have to contend with um who you were then and who you are now and then the people that know you back then um have to get used to the person you are now and you know you have to get used to the person you are now without letting yourself go too much of where you came from there's a lot of duality there I wouldn't say it's a struggle it was certainly just it's certainly something at all it can be a struggle but it's just the reality of of what we all go through I think um Mm. going back to what you said about you know being creative um I think and you probably experience the same thing when you feed your soul with the soul with the people that you love that actually feeds into your creativity Mm. as well Mm. Um, where I, else I find the more I isolate myself, I can, maybe I can get more done, but I don't know whether it's creative. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I relate to that. Yeah. yeah. You, you touched on something that was actually, um, connected to something I wanted, I wanted to ask you was sort of with being, um, an, an immigrant and kind of, um, having, you've lived in so many different contexts, like even the context that you described in America, I imagine um, yeah. Portland Portland is quite a unique place from what I've heard um, <laughs> compared to the rest of the US. And then um, from, you know, from there, from Malaysia to there, to back to Malaysia, back to Australia. Yeah. How did you find it kind of going from that, particularly with your faith, going from that setting yeah. of, um, a huge emphasis on family in the church and a huge emphasis on, like you say, sort of multi-generational, holistic church yeah. involvement 
two really different contexts and kind of did you find your faith changed with that process as well? Oh, that's a that's a question to think on a little bit about. Give me a second. Yeah, no <laughs> yeah worries. because um, yeah, I think I think definitely all steps in my life have affected uh, my faith. Um, moving different countries, it was interesting to see how d- different cultures practice their faith because Catholicism. Uh, I'm just speaking from the context of of mm. Catholicism. Just that's because why Which I'm is... from very important that's what we want to hear yeah Yeah. even even if it whether it's conservative or liberal whether in terms of celebration of viewpoint in Malaysia it's still very different to uh to for instance the U.S. or or where you are because it's still a very multicultural environment Mm -hmm. and so I mean I don't want to use the word tolerance because you know obviously different faiths is not something you tolerate but it's like it's normative for us to mm. grow up and even as a Catholic, uh, as a very uh, as a very um, strong Catholic, you know, you celebrate Chinese New Year, you celebrate Deepavali, mm. you celebrate Hari Raya. It's not well. Mm. I found that going to, you know, in some, well, not, not just the US, to be fair, the US and some small pockets in, you know, Australia and um, other countries because I have sort of engaged with um, other countries there the conservative mu- movement is very um, quick to call other religions and things like oh these heathen religions etc etc now you know sort of regardless of what you believe in in a multicultural setting that's just an unacceptable thing to say um, mm. and also it's very divisive because there's no um, there's no effort for any sort of intercultural understanding. Mm. One of um, one of the things that's very important in Malaysia that there is an interfaith council where all the mm. faiths get together and they uh, all the leaders of the faiths get together and they talk about things that that bring uh, that they find common ground. They don't just it's not about mm. the differences. It's about mm. what they all believe in um, and what they work on as a society. They, they have people come in and give talks, you know, and that's just a essential part of living in a multicultural environment. And I find that, um, I found that moving overseas, people weren't necessarily trying to make that effort because they were so convinced that their way is pure, right and true. <laughs> um, and I'm not arguing about who's wait ways pure right and true but you know you're not learning anything from from mm-hmm. anyone else if or if you think that your way is the highway mm-hmm. um so there's a the, yeah I don't know whether it's lack of exposure because Malaysia has been cosmopolitan for the last four or five hundred years mm-hmm. um and places like the U.S. they're not necessarily that um you know even it's larger but they're not as um old I guess in terms of being multicultural, same with Australia. Um, you know, it's generally, uh, I wouldn't, you know, in the last couple of hundred years, you know, mm. I, I want to say hundred, but I'm aware that there has been immigration, especially in the Chinese population before, having just come back from Bendigo. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because even the most, uh, I find even the most, of, I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously there's racism in Malaysia in many forms, but you'd be hard-pressed to find 
uh, a, con a conservative Christian in Malaysia um, be um, unaccepting of um, other religions and how, how other people live. Um, if anything, it'll be doing, denying that will be denying the food during that celebration, which is already mm. like a big no-no for Malaysians. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> as far as food is our second religion. So. <laughs> it's, it's a very that unites everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very big cultural thing that unites all of us. It's actually a very uniting factor among yeah. all the religions. And probably why we all get along during the celebration. <laughs> the first thing anybody does for any of these celebrations is find the best place to eat for Chinese New Year. For Hari Raya, the Ramadan markets, you know, and Deepavali, the Indian food, um, the whole shebang. So that's a very actually unifying factor in our culture. That's really yeah. interesting. And it's, it must be interesting going to other areas where things like hospitality, like I would say in Australia compared to many other cultures, hospitality is very very low on our radar we're very protective yeah. of our homes and our spaces and our food um and yeah. it's it's not as much of a shared thing so it definitely changes the way that we do communal faith as well um, yeah I found uh, actually that when I moved to the U.S. and I was working in some of the churches um I actually found I was most at home with the Hispanic communities because they mm. had a, that similar hospitality wells in um uh, particularly when I was working in um, the Catholic Church. I mean, I, the peeps, people I worked with were mostly lovely, but I don't think I ever got an invite. Well, mm. maybe one, but I never really got invites into people's homes and things like that. But the his, Hispanic community was very sort of open, open door policy, which is kind of how, what my family is like. And also Melbourne mm. has kind of turned into that a little bit because of mm. all the immigration and people here. So it's easier to to have that and yeah 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 that makes sense um well i just wanted to ask one more thing and then um we'll wrap up but i just wanted to ask if there have been any points in your life that you're comfortable sharing that have been sort of lower or darker more challenging points where you found that um your faith and your music along with it has kind of really Avoid you and and helped you in that yeah um that's another very interesting question I think I think for me I've definitely had low points where I wouldn't say it's it would have it was a backslide but I was probably less observant of of my faith but I was never at a point where I never I ever thought that um, I didn't believe or uh, I think that that culture was just too strong within me um, mm. and especially when I moved to the U.S. Um, it was a beautiful place. I loved, loved Portland but it didn't have anybody there for me and mm. that kind of threw me in a bit of a depression uh, which is why we ended up you know wanting to move here as well and you know those pregnancy losses um, and a lot of things that um, sort of piled off on one on top of the other. So it was a very good life in Portland because, like I said, beautiful place. But all the people that um, that sort of made my life my life were, weren't there, unfortunately. Having said that, though, doesn't mean that, you know, we'd never move back because 
we came to Australia, you know, hoping very open, come see how it goes. And then mm-hmm. if it works out great, if it doesn't, you know, we're lucky enough to have options that we can go somewhere else. But um, I think because of that strong, strong foundational family faith that I had, all the hard times that you that I went through, it was too strongly ingrained mm-hmm. to ignore. Yeah. 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 So kind of, and, kind of like a, a helpful stubbornness really <laughs> of just this and that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 actually I can attribute that to faith, but I really do mm. have to attribute that to family. And when I say family, I don't mean just by blood, I mean all the family mm. chosen family as well. Mm. Um, because without those people, all, all those people and the care that they show me and the care that I have for them. That is also one the main thing that feeds my faith. If and I have quite an eclectic group group of friends. Um, they're all not really like one another, and they all like each other, but they're not. You know, they're not very similar, but they all get along really well, and mm-hmm. I enjoy that <laughs> um, as well because you know we come from different political backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different um, you know di- completely different interests. Um, but we all, you know, have the common thing of caring for each other very much. Same with my family. Uh, we're all very, uh, we're all alike and not alike at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you grow up with a very strong foundation of what it means to have family and friends, and I grew up with very strong friendships, luckily, um, and, you know, a strong sense of family, I found that those type of things were able to carry me and when I pull myself back from the world you know after a few months I could give myself a kick in the butt and say all right that's enough time to go back out there again Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah and so yeah my faith is very fed by by people basically it it is very fed by my music but it is mostly fed by people and I think that makes sense because I think in in some cultures faith is a very individualistic thing it's a very it's a thing for me and you know it's I may or may not share it with others around me um but that's not the case in in many other cultures it's faith is experienced through family it's experienced through friends it's experienced through those community aspects and and it's a shared thing rather than a um this is just for me thing yeah, and um, so I dare say sense. that in my group of friends, maybe I have a couple of devout Christians, Catholics, and the rest are sort of a variety of people. They either of different faith or agnostic. But I guess my point is that for me, because of what I, of my faith, I see um, God, love, and light in all of them, in everything that they contribute to my life, in their viewpoints, um, and mm-hmm. you know, in their care for me and my care of them. So. Um, so community for me doesn't necessarily have to be enclosed in your mm. faith group. I, I do think that it is important to have that, especially growing up, but I think it's very, very important to have that um, diverse aspect in your life to grow in your own faith. If you're strong yeah. enough in your own faith, then everything else should feed it if you find the right people. Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, but, that's mm-hmm. something that was handed down to my family, so... Mm, yeah yeah absolutely that's a that's a great heritage to have 
Well, thank you so much, Shanti. Um, yeah. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. I've actually learned a lot about Malaysian just Malaysian oh. culture and just um, it's been really interesting to hear your very unique background compared to many of the other guests that I speak to. Um, so it's very enriching. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. No worries. You've been listening to Everyday Saints. Everyday Saints is hosted and edited by me, Kiralina Cole, with help from Elspeth Kernibone, Michelle Harris, Janan Taylor, and Maya Pilbrow. Graphics by Julian Karajic. If you have a suggestion for our podcast, please email me directly at knicole at melbourneanglican.org.au.